welcome back to the DBT Book Club podcast. We are season one, episode 10, currently reading the Dialectical Behaviour Therapy Skills Workbook. Details of how to get hold of this book or how to join our Discord chat is all available in the podcast bio. So click on that, join the group. We get to chat about all things BPD, all those crazy breakdowns we have, and we just get to laugh at them and understand each other. And even if you don't have borderline personality disorder, don't worry, this is still a fantastic way to overcome those terrible, overwhelming emotions and how to actually deal with life and to and to parent yourself because a lot of us didn't have a great upbringing and we can't blame our parents for that. They did what they thought was good at the time and unfortunately yes we were given a crappy toolkit of tools that just doesn't really help our brains in those stressful situations so let's start positively page 47 today up until page 56 so today we are going to talk about using self-encouraging coping thoughts something which we don't have we don't have coping thoughts as bpders i know i don't until obviously i've invested in this book So there are many distressing times in life when we all need to hear some encouraging words to keep us motivated or to help us endure the pain that we are experiencing. But there are so many distressing times like these when you are also alone and you need to encourage yourself to stay strong. Often this can be done with self-encouraging coping thoughts. Coping thoughts are reminders of how strong you've been in the past when you survived distressing situations and they also remind us of encouraging words that have given you strength. Coping thoughts are especially helpful when you first notice that you're feeling agitated, nervous, angry or upset. If you can recognise your distress early on, you have a better chance of using one of these thoughts to help soothe yourself. Maybe there are even situations in your life that occur on a regular basis when you can predict that one of these coping thoughts might be useful. So before we dive into this list of coping thoughts and ideas, it's important to understand that the next time when you learn these new skills in this book or from the podcast is that sometimes you have not subconsciously built in that brain connection to think about those coping thoughts in that moment of distress when we really need it. And it will take a couple of failed attempts. And if that happens, don't worry. You know, when I first started this book, which was really a year ago, I had to keep coming back to it, which is how this podcast was formed. Because it takes a while for your brain to get learned, to learn a new way of rewiring. So if you have a moment where you're in a crisis mode, overwhelming emotions, and you forget to use these coping thoughts, don't worry. The more you become aware of this, the easier it gets, I promise. So here's the list. You can tick these ones if you have the physical book or just nod your head. So here's the first one. This situation won't last forever. Number two, I've already been through many other painful experiences and I've survived. This too shall pass. My feelings make me uncomfortable right now, but I can accept them. I can be anxious and still and still deal with the situation. Now, I love this one because it kind of says, look, you can still have these feelings, but you can still get on with what you need to do. That's really powerful for me. I'm strong enough to handle what's happening to me right now. This is an opportunity for me to learn how to cope with my fears. That's big. I can ride this out and not let it get to me. 
I can take all the time I need right now to let go and relax. I've survived other situations like this before and I'll survive this one too. My anxiety, fear, sadness won't kill me. It just doesn't feel good right now. And that's a great one. That's something that I wish I had as a parent where my mom or my dad would have said like, look, I get it. I know that you're feeling crappy, but you're going to be okay. You're going to get through this. Something along those lines is something we didn't get as kids. And that's when we understand how important these skills are for ourselves in the adult life. Next one. These are just my feelings and eventually they will go away. It's okay to feel sad, anxious, afraid sometimes. My thoughts don't control my life, I do. I can think different thoughts if I want to. I'm not in danger right now. So what? This situation sucks, but it's only temporary. I'm strong and I can deal with this. Coping thoughts can help you tolerate distressing situations by giving you strength and motivation to enjoy those. Coping thoughts can help you tolerate distressing situations by giving you strength and motivation to enjoy those experiences. Now that you know about coping thoughts, you can begin using them immediately. Write your five favourite coping thoughts on an index card or a sticky note and keep it with you in your wallet or your purse. Or put your coping thoughts in conspicuous places where you can see them every day, like on your refrigerator or mirror or possibly on your kettle or coffee blender like I have. The more you see your coping thoughts, the quickly they will become part of your automatic thought process. And it will be hard at first. You will walk past them on the fridge and on the mirror, but you have to consciously remind yourself to look at them. So maybe even put them on top of, say you always have a bottle of, say, orange juice in the morning, put the index card on top of your bottle of orange juice. You have to physically remove it to open up that bottle. This is how you form habits. You somewhere that Something that you usually do in the morning keep that the same don't expect to do any new actions put that into your normal routine so maybe put it on I don't know on the toothpaste tube or put it inside a shoe so that when you put your shoes on you have that index card and you think ah I want to think of these things so let's use the following worksheet to record stressful situations in which you use your coping thoughts to give you strength and you can make copies of this or just keep it with you so that you can record the experience as soon as it happens. So recording the experiences might be awkward or inconvenient for you but doing it this way it will help you to remember to use your self-encouraging coping thoughts more often. So let's read the example worksheet together for ideas about when coping thoughts will be helpful to you. So this is really good to just rip this page out if you had the physical copy or just to refer to it every day if you can and write down kind of like a diary or a journal that you could do. Okay, the distressing situation is my boss yelled at me. So the new coping thought is this job stinks, but it's only temporary. This isn't what I want to be doing for the rest of my life. And maybe I'm here for Christmas. I'm here over the summer. So I know what it feels like when you get confronted when you've done something that you didn't mean to do and it was a complete mistake. We take it, we can't just take it on the chin, we take it straight to the heart and soul and it just crushes us. So now you just have to think, meh, it sucks, but I'm not going to be here forever. Number two, the weather person on television said that there is a really bad storm approaching that might cause some minor flooding. 
Your new thought should be, I can keep taking deep breaths and remind myself that this will pass soon. I can cope. Beautiful one. Three, I couldn't get my gardening done before my friends came over and I really wanted them to see how nice my backyard looks. Then you put, well, it's disappointing, but I can cope. And I'll talk about my plans for the backyard. Four, my sister called me selfish for not leaving work early to take her shopping. The great coping thought should be, she lives in a world of pain herself and that's how she copes with disappointment. Now this one's a good one so that you can get out of your own head and you can understand sometimes if there is a toxic person around you. Now a lot of us BPDers, we have been in relationships. It's very common that if we aren't the narcissist in the relationship, we have dated narcissists before. You've got to get out of that attachment trauma cycle of events and again, that's that's a, probably another book that we would discuss about the attachment trauma side of things. But what we're trying to get at here is sometimes people can mistreat us, but we don't think it's bad and we take it all so personally that, yeah, we we really go out of our way, but these people don't deserve it, especially if they are toxic. So this is something to think in those moments where you think, hang on, I'm, I'm not being treated well here. You know, that's okay to be like, I'm okay doing what I said I wanted to do because this person's toxic and really making me go out of my way to help them when it's not necessary or it's selfish of them. Okay, next one. I got sad while watching a movie. I get this. When a series ends, I know this is a BPD thing. We don't... Some of us watch a lot of movies or we stick to the same movies or some of us don't watch movies or series. So for me, I get so emotionally overwhelmed that I have probably seen in my life probably about 30, 40 movies and that's it. And I can always recall the movies that I've watched and I rewatch them and rewatch them because I can't deal with the newfound emotion of it keeping me upset. And again, this is a bad strategy, but what we should be saying is these are just my feelings and eventually they will go away. I can use my skills to cope. So I've got to tell myself that one every time my partner or my friend's like, let's watch this film. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. My emotion overwhelming stuff's going to pop up. <laughs> I hear police sirens coming down the street and it made me nervous. You have to think, I'm not in danger right now. I'm safe and I'm comfortable behind the closed doors of my house. I know this is a very common OCD thing. A lot of us struggle with that aspect too. That when we're in shops, if we leave shops and we haven't bought anything, we start sweating. We look anxious as hell because we think, what if they think I've stolen something? Or what if I involuntarily put something in my bag without being consciously aware of it? We think these thoughts. And... um, that can make us look more dodgy than anything. If you've got someone about to leave the store who's panicking, they're going to look like they stole something. So yes, be very mindful of that. You are always safe. No matter what situation happens around you, if you aren't involved in it, you've got to let that pass because you are not at fault there. The store clerk gave me the wrong change and I have to go back and ask for more money. Oh my gosh, we do not want to be doing this. But we can say, look, I can deal with this. I can say what I want and I can deal with the disappointment if I don't get it back. That's okay. It's okay to say you want this thing and it's okay to have disappointment too. My daughter is leaving for college and I'm really, really going to miss her. Great one, this one is. My sadness won't kill me. It just doesn't feel good right now. Nine. I got nervous when I don't have anything to keep me busy. So I get nervous when there's nothing planned. A great thought is I can take all the time I need right now to let myself go and relax. You know, run that bubble bath, 
spend so much time giving yourself a pedicure, I know, drink lots of beer, whatever you want to do, that is your time to relax. And I know that we feel overwhelmed if we're alone because of the attachment abandonment traumas that we grew up with, which has defined us into BPDs today. That it's okay to have alone time. If someone cancels on you, you can be disappointed, but so what? Now you've got more time to do what you want, you know, really enjoy it. And 10, I really hate to fly, but I need to visit my grandmother in Tulsa. This is an opportunity for me to learn how to cope with my fears. I'll use my breathing and visualization skills. Now, I have really focused on this, doing a lot more social activities with people that I'm not um, fully friends with, like acquaintances that I'm still building up relationships with. Doing those social things out in the open with a group of people that I don't really know, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. But it's an opportunity for me to learn to overcome that. And yeah, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, apparently. So on page 50, you do have your coping thoughts worksheet. So I want you to, at the end of the day or in the morning for the night before, start thinking about that distressing situation. And then you think of new coping thoughts. And this is perfect if you know you have a regular routine. For example, if your mum calls you and your first thing is to panic... You have to think of that coping thought. What should you be telling yourself when you see your phone flash up with your mum's um, caller ID? You should think, it's fine. She just wants to see if I'm okay. There's not been a family problem. Try to think about those routine distressing situations and come up with your coping thoughts. Let's head on to page 51. We're going back to radical acceptance, which is what we learned in the first chapter, which is just beautiful. So the word dialectic in dialectical behavioural therapy means to balance and compare two things that appear very different or even contradictory. In dialectical behavioural therapy, the balance is between change and acceptance. Listen to this, it's so powerful. You need to change the behaviours in your life that are creating more suffering for yourself and others while simultaneously also accepting the self of you, accepting the way that you are. So this does sound contradictory, I know, but it's a key part of the treatment. Dialectical behavioural therapy depends on acceptance and change, not acceptance or change. Most of this book will focus on skills you can develop to change your life, but this section will focus on how to accept your life. In fact, it will teach you how to radically accept your life. Radical man. Radical acceptance is one of the hardest skills in this chapter to master because it requires you to look at yourself and the world in a different way. However, it's also one of the most important skills in dialectical behavioural therapy and you'll be exploring it further in chapter 3 and 5 on more mindfulness skills. Radical acceptance means that you accept something completely without judging it. For example, radically accepting the present moment means that you don't fight it, you don't get angry, or try to change it into something that it's not. So to radically accept the present moment means that you have to acknowledge that the present moment is what it is, due to a long chain of events and decisions made by you and other people in the past. So there are Remember this, I've underlined this because I thought it was beautiful. The present moment never spontaneously leaps into existence without being caused by events that have already taken place. And imagine that each moment of your life is connected like a line of dominoes and knock each other down. 
powerful. I know. But remember, radically accepting something doesn't mean that you give up and simply accept every bad situation that happens to you. Because some situations in life are unjust, such as when someone abuses or assaults you. That's never, ever your fault. Regardless of if you had an argument before or you said some horrible things, you never deserve to be abused or assaulted. That's never, ever your fault. Please let that settle in. But for other situations in life, you share at least some responsibility. And there's a balance between what you created and what others have created. However, many people struggling with overwhelming emotions often feel like life just happens to them, not recognising their own role in creating a situation. And as a result, their first reaction is to get angry. In fact, one woman said that anger was her default emotion, meaning that when she was just being herself, she was angry. And yes, I have been that lady. I always have that anger, irritability, hostile behaviour. And I'm changing, slowly changing that. Her excessive hostility caused her to hurt herself by drinking heavily, cutting herself and constantly berating herself. And it also led to her hurting the people she cared about by constantly fighting with them. Oh yes, and that sucks, let me tell you. (laughs) Being one of those naturally aggressive people is, yeah, you don't have many friends. Remember the previous podcast about university and being a hermit? Yep, it's because I was the angry lady. In contrast, radically accepting the present moment opens up the opportunity for you to recognise the role that you have played in creating your current situation. And as a result, it also creates an opportunity to respond to that situation in a new way that's less painful for yourself and others. So in many ways, radical acceptance is like the serenity prayer, which says, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Beautiful or what? In the exercise below, you will find some questions to ask yourself when you want to use radical acceptance. But first, let's look at an example of how radical acceptance can help a person in a distressing situation. So here are the examples of using radical acceptance. And I think a lot of us would have related to this. I most definitely have. And I just want you to really think about your moment as being Christine. So Christine's the person in the story who goes through a really distressive, self-destructive behavioural pattern. And I just want you to think about how you would usually act in this situation, but then also to think about the new radical way of accepting as we go along. So Christine and her boyfriend, John, had a difficult relationship. John spent a lot of his free time at the bar drinking with his friends and in response, Christine would get mad, threaten to leave him and then do something destructive to piss him off. This occurred regularly for five years and then one night, Christine came home from work angry and when John wasn't around to talk to, she suddenly felt hopeless about their relationship. So she called John at the bar to tell him that she was going to kill herself because she couldn't put up with his behaviour any longer. John raced home to find Christine swallowing a handful of pills and he made her spit them out. Then he made a promise that she wouldn't do it again and she promised and then John left, taking the keys to Christine's car so that she couldn't go anywhere. Now Christine got even angrier and called the police to report that her keys had been stolen. Then she walked up to the bar, found John's car and smashed his windshield with a brick. She would have broken the other windows too but the police stopped her and arrested her. Needless to say, 
Neither Christine or John gave any consideration to using radical acceptance in this situation. So both of these people are wrong, and I'm going to talk to you about how. Both of them were angry at each other, and by acting on their anger, they both ended up hurting themselves and the other person. So how could this situation have occurred differently if radical acceptance had been used? Let's consider the situation from Christine's point of view. Instead of threatening to kill herself, maybe she could have used one of the distress tolerance skills you learned in the last chapter. Remember your strategy for dealing with distressing situations is to distract, relax and cope. So maybe Christine could have screamed into a pillow and then gone outside for a long walk. Or maybe she could have just called up one of her friends to talk for a little while. Then after she cooled off a bit, maybe she could have asked herself the following questions and used radical acceptance to re-examine her situation. So let's think. What events led up to Christine's situation? So we know that she and John had been behaving and fighting like this for years. Five years, in fact. This night was nothing new, but she had come home angry about work. And then she became even angrier with John because he wasn't around. What role did Christine play in creating this situation? So instead of trying to cope with her anger and her frustration in a healthy way, she took her emotions out on herself and also John. Also, Christine had had many reasons and opportunities in the past to end this relationship if she wanted to, but she had chosen to stay in this destructive relationship. And what role did John play in creating this situation? Because he is at to blame as well. John had an alcohol addiction that had been interfering with their relationship for five years. And this night, he also didn't take the time to discuss Christine's suicidal behaviour with her. Instead, he chose to return to the bar, which made her even angrier. And when I first read this book, I didn't think John did anything wrong. I was like, you know, he just took her keys, whatever. But then I was like, hang on a minute. She's showing a major sign of distress. He should be there for her. He might not want to be there for her because he needs to go to the bar. However, when you're in a relationship with someone, in those moments, you depend on someone else because your emotional, your emotional state is so, it's just bubbling everywhere. It's like an exploded volcano that when you are so deep in those emotions, you can't make sense. You can't make rational decisions and you need someone else there. And if you're in a relationship with someone that is not there in that distressing time to at least say, I don't know what to say. Tell me what I can do. Let me just sit with you or let me just come over and I'll hug you or just to just be there. That is a sign that this person is not good enough for you. They need to do some self-growth themselves before they can come back and have a relationship with you. But I'm not a relationship therapist. I just know from experience that you do not deserve to be with someone who isn't there in your time of need. And if they don't want to put up with it, screw them. Get someone that will. Okay, so what does Christine have control of in this situation? Have a think. What does she have control of? Well, she can end the relationship if she wants to. Or she can choose a different way to cope with this distressing situation. Her decision was to take the pills and to be angry. She had control of that situation and she chose the negative self-destructive behaviour. So what doesn't Christine have control of in this situation? Think hard about that. What doesn't she have control over? And ultimately, it is John who has to seek help to stop his alcohol addiction. 
She cannot make him stop drinking and she also doesn't have control of how John chooses to behave towards her in this situation. Now, yes, she got angry when John wasn't there for it, but she doesn't have control over John. All she can do is think, well, I deserve better. John can go to the bar. I'm going to break up with him, work on myself, find someone else that's much better. And remember, guys, if we are dating someone that doesn't have emotional maturity, financially is not in a good place, and they're not choosing to make a difference to that, and they have alcoholic addictions, maybe they're narcissists, have bad parents, bad parenting skills to your children, whatever it is, you cannot force someone to change. You can possibly stay, stay like, look, I feel that you need to work on this, but you have to do this alone. I'm here to support you, but you can't depend on me to help you through this. I'm going to be your support post, but this is ultimately up to you. That's a hard thing to realize because when we don't value ourselves, we don't value the other person's choices. We think I would just, especially as BPDers with attachment traumas, we think, let me just save you. I will save you. I'll make sure you go to therapy. I'll cook you dinner. I'll teach you how to do this. I'll do all the housework so that you can love me more. No, 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 no. That's not true. And you can't love someone if you're trying to change them because you should never try to change them. When you're not a parent, that's not your job. You don't have them as like a pet where you try to teach them just to sit or roll over. You have to just love that person, but you love yourself first, and then you love them when they can love you and themselves. What was Christine's response to this situation? Pretty damn dramatic, right? She tried to kill herself, and then she smashed John's windshield. Just couldn't get any worse, could it? How did her response affect her own thoughts and feelings? So her actions made her feel worse about herself and her relationship. And she kept thinking about why she was still in this destructive relationship. And remember, she has that choice. She has that choice to leave, but she decided she didn't. She thought, I don't have this choice. I have to just put up with it. And that's because she didn't value her own self. Remember from the value exercises from yesterday? There we go. How did her response affect the thoughts and feelings of other people? So Christine and John were arrested, which made both of them feel worse than they already did about themselves and the relationship. How could Christine have changed her response to this situation so that it led to less suffering for herself and John? Well, she could have used all the distress tolerance skills to cope with her pain and anger. She could have also used radical acceptance to reevaluate the situation so that she could choose to react in a different way. And perhaps she could even have chosen to leave John that very evening, even temporarily, which might have been less painful for the both of them. Just think she could have said, look, dude, look, John, mate, I had a crappy day at work. I need to talk to you about it because that's what we do in a relationship. Let me just talk for 10 minutes. I'll like nasty your ear off. You just nod your head and pretend that you're really enjoying what I'm saying. And but you weren't there. Where were you? You were at the pub. You were drinking. You have a problem. I need to work on myself to get myself in a good place. You need to go to Alcoholics Anonymous and get that shit sorted. And then when that's okay, I will come back, see how I feel. I might have moved on in that time. I don't know. I wish you the best. I wish you all the happiness in the world. However, I've got to do my own thing and so have you. Let's come back together in the middle. Or I'm temporarily need to go to my mum's because your alcohol addiction is driving me to the ground, sunshine. You know, you'll have all of these decisions. So let's talk about something else. How could this situation have occurred differently if Christine had decided to radically accept the situation? 
So if she had just used some of these distress tolerance skills that we have been learning just from that one evening, she could have waited until the next morning to talk to John about how angry she felt at work and how upset her drinking made her feel. Or maybe if she had ended the relationship, she could have made space in her life for a healthy relationship or simply spared herself the reoccurring pain of a destructive relationship. So now let's talk about radical acceptance for ourselves. Let's answer the same questions for us. So we need to think of a distressing situation that you experienced recently. Then answer these questions that will help you to radically accept the situation in a new way. So what happened in this distressing situation? Now, I haven't filled this out, so I'm going to fill this in with you. And this is going to be, um, yeah, it will be quite a distressing one. But I want it to be real. And here we go. So what happened in the distressing situation? So I had, it was my birthday, and um, I just wanted to spend it with my boyfriend. And he... um, Basically, for a couple of days before, remember us BPDers are very, very literal, very, very literal, should I say. He um, told me that he was working on my birthday. And obviously, he was saying, like, oh, I haven't got any plans because I'm busy working. So in my head, I was like, right, well, screw you. I feel really sad. I can't believe you've not wanted to do something with my birthday. And he was ill. And then when he finished work, we had an argument beforehand where he said, no, I've actually booked a table for us to go out and do our, like, relive our first date and go to the same restaurants and stuff. But because he kept that a secret, he tried to make on, (laughs) bless him, he tried to make on that he didn't arrange plans. But for me, I felt so neglected and I felt so low. Then we had Christmas, which was uh, two days before. Then I had my birthday and then he called me up uh, late in the day and said he's actually ill, that he couldn't um, make the meal. And he was ill in the morning, so I saw him. So I'm like, it's fine, it's not a big deal. So I used radical acceptance in that moment. But as the day got on, I didn't see anyone because it's Christmas. I've had this every year. Family and friends are busy with other friends and family members. So I just sat on my own playing PlayStation games. And then that's when I felt my abandonment trauma kick in. I was like, I'm not even here on my birthday. I feel lonely as hell. And that was the tipping point. And I did something drastic. I decided I wanted to end my life right there. And I I took that decision and I tried to hang myself. Um, And I was so overwhelmed, yada, yada, yada. And then the next day, I'd messaged him and said, I am at my nan's house and explained what I tried to do. But he didn't see that message until the following day. And then when he called me at 3pm in the afternoon, I went crazy at him. I was like, how dare you? Like, it's been nearly a whole 24 hours since I did this. You hadn't even been in touch. And yeah, I, I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with this relationship. Goodbye. And that caused a lot of issues. So what past events happened that led up to this situation? So I'm going on page 56 now. I'm talking about these through with you. So past events that happened to this situation is the fact that I felt really abandoned. It was Christmas. I spent Christmas at his house without people that I know. So I was very socially, like, felt really abandoned anyway. And obviously with my my trauma that I've had as a child, also being neglected a lot of the time, it hit me on that day of my birthday because I was like, wow, this is, I was born this time so many years ago and now I'm not even with those parents on my birthday. I'm on my own and I hate it. And what role did I play in creating this situation? Well, the role I played was very, very simple. Um, I was low rather than me calling up a friend. Um, I broke up with my boyfriend. I tried to kill myself and I broke up with my boyfriend the day after and that was all down to me. That was my choice. I was just so, so angry 
And what roles did other people play in creating the situation? Now, yes, my partner knows. He knows about BPD, but it's very easy for him to forget and not understand how literal it is. Plus, yes, he was joking about not booking a, a birthday meal with me, but I took it so literal because of my abandonment trauma. I was like, wow, there we go. That just proves it. You never really loved me from the start. And that's when it activates this whole cycle inside me. So... Um, the role that he played in creating the situation. Now, honestly, when I told him that I had tried to end my life, he didn't respond well. Obviously, he's taken back. This is a brand new thing for him and his life with someone that has mental health problems. And his response was, you have to deal with this with yourself. I can't help you. And the first response, he should have been very, a bit more heartwarming and said, wow, I, I don't know what you're going through. Can I do anything? Can I come around and see you? Are you free today? Where are you? Are you okay? Rather than him try to problem solve and say, well, I'm not a therapist. I can't help you. He could have worded that better. Now, what do you have control of in this situation? So I had control over my emotions. And I knew that I had my radical acceptance. I should have um, called up a friend and said, you know, I'm feeling low. Can I talk to you? Or gone around to see my my friends or my family. But I chose to just kind of like stay in that horrible, sad place. So I do have control over my emotions. And yes, what my partner said at the time was really crappy, but I don't have control over that. If he decides he can't show up in the times I need him the most, then that's not my problem. That's his. I've got better things to do in my life. What did I have control over in the situation? I did have control of obviously my emotions. I don't have control over him. And what was my response to this situation? Well, I lashed out. I got angry. So the day before I tried to kill myself, the day after I broke up with him. My response was I was angry and irritable and I was upset and I felt abandoned and I felt unloved and that was horrible. So how did that response affect my own thoughts and feelings? Well, I went for the next couple of days feeling useless. I felt like my partner doesn't even love me. I felt bad. Um, it was terrible. It really was not good. And But then spending time with friends and family made me realise my own value, which I have obviously remind myself every single day. So that value has helped me to be a better person. So how did my responses after the thoughts and feelings affect the thoughts and feelings of other people? Well, my boyfriend obviously didn't understand. He when I said I'm breaking up with you, that's it. Um, he thought that we he was upset about being broken up, but I was upset with the fact that he didn't talk to me about the fact that I tried to kill myself, the suicidal tendencies I had. So we didn't talk for a week. That made me feel crappy. But also the response and the thoughts from other people. And ever since today, the day of me uploading this podcast, my grandmother and my dad still message me every day to say, are you okay? And I have to respond back, otherwise they panic. And that was probably three weeks ago. Um... So, yeah, so the response and the thoughts is I realised how much value I have with my friends and family and they reached out to me and I know that I am important. Even if I don't feel I am, I am important to other people and I have a massive part in this circle of, of love that I'm in. Um, now, how could I have changed my response to this situation so it led to less suffering for myself and others? Well, I didn't just suffer myself, my boyfriend, my friends and my family because they all knew I, I tried to do something terrible. So I could have just felt I'm really low. Let me go see a friend. Let me go see a family member that is free. Let me call up my friend who lives a couple of miles away. I should have done something relaxing like watch TV, had a bath. I already had my relaxation plan and my distraction plan, but I didn't do it. I felt like I don't deserve it. And that's a big no-no. 
Okay, so I could have spoke to my my boyfriend the next day and I could have said, look, dude, it was, how are you feeling? Like, you know, you had a cold, are you okay? Like, when can I see you? You know, don't worry, we'll just postpone my birthday, not a big deal. And how could this situation have occurred differently if I decided to radically accept the situation? Well, I would have had a nice night, possibly getting tipsy on my own with a bottle of wine in the bath on my birthday, and then see my boyfriend later on for the week. I wouldn't have um, made started all my friends and family and and yeah so but the events happened because like the domino effect that's just what happened and I have to accept that so enough about me let's go back it's very important to remember that radical acceptance also applies to accepting yourself in this case radical acceptance means embracing who you are without judging or criticizing yourself or to put it another way radically accepting yourself means loving yourself just the way you are with all of your goodness and all of your faults finding the goodness inside of yourself might be a difficult challenge and in that moment I didn't feel that especially if you are struggling with those overwhelming emotions but many people with this problem often think of themselves as being defective bad or unlovable and as a result they overlook their good qualities and add more pain to their lives and this is why radically accepting yourself is so extremely important now this is just a note that I have here that I've done and when I obviously told my friends and family what happened and they all came around and made sure I was okay, they all sent me lovely texts. And I didn't ask for this, but they all said, this is how important you are. These are the best things about you. And I wrote them all down in the back of my gratitude journal. And even when I feel really bad and I'm like, oh, I feel like a bad person. I'm so unlovable, blah, 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 blah. I turn to the back of that journal and I read those things to remind myself. Now, this is a great thing for you to do is just go to your friends and family and say, can you do something? It might sound a bit up in the air, but can you write just a couple of sentences for me? Send it through text, you know, Facebook Messenger, whatever. And just tell me some of the best qualities about me and why you feel I'm important so that I can feel good about myself and then refer to those because you will feel so much better when you glance over them. Okay, we're nearly we're nearly close to the end of the podcast. I've shared so much of my life and am I okay with this being on the internet? Well, I am now because that's life. If I can share my story and help just one person feel good in a situation and not do what I did, that's worth it for me. Okay, self-affirming statements. To begin building a healthier self-image, many people find it helpful to use self-affirming statements. And the purpose of these statements is to remind yourself of the good qualities you possess in order to give you strength and resilience when confronted with distressing situations and solutions. Sorry, not solutions, just situations. This type of statement will remind you that hidden underneath your sometimes overwhelming emotions is a caring, loving person who is capable of handling a distressing situation in a healthier way. I promise. So these are the examples from the book. Nod or tick along if you're reading with me. I might have some faults, but I'm still a good person. Definitely. I care about myself and other people. I accept who I am. I love myself. I'm a good person, not a mistake. I'm good and nobody's perfect. I embrace both my good and bad qualities. Today I take responsibility for everything I do and say. I'm becoming a better person every day. I'm a sensitive person who experiences the world differently. I'm a sensitive person with rich emotional experiences. Each day I do the best I can. Even though I forget sometimes, I'm still a good person. 
Even though bad things happened to me in the past, I'm still a good person. Even though I've made mistakes in the past, I'm still a good person. I'm here for a reason. There's a purpose to my life, even though I might not always see it. And I radically accept myself. Now feel free to add more, but those self-affirming statements are so helpful. So write them down on index cards and then post them throughout the home of yourself. You know, put them up on the mirror, get a chalkboard highlighter, whiteboard marker, write on your mirrors. One woman wrote her statement on the bathroom mirror with an erasable marker, so it was the first thing she saw in the morning. One man wrote his on a sticky note and kept it posted on his computer as he worked. You can choose to remind yourself of your self-affirming statements in any way that works for you, but choose a technique that will remind you many times throughout the day. The more often you can see the statement, the more it will help change the way you think about yourself. Here's a great way to do this. Get your smartphone, set three alarms throughout the day. Possibly not one to wake up with, that should be different, or just two, but give yourself a minimum of three and they go off at random times. You can do a pop-up on Google Chrome if you work at computer or put it on your smartphone or your iWatch, whatever. And the name of that alarm should be one of those self-affirming statements. And so that you have a moment, a random time where you put in this little, obviously your, your alarm time, when it goes off, you see that before you click stop or, you know, like delay it for five minutes. But that is a reminder of it's there. You get to see it. Now, Chrome has a really great extension. I haven't used it for a while, so I don't know if it's still there or if you buy it, but it will be in the Chrome store somewhere or on the app stores where it's a random timer that just goes off between a certain time that you set. So you can set between 2 to 5 p.m. in the afternoon if you're working at your laptop, computer, whatever. And it'll be a random pop-up that comes up and you can set a sentence in for that random pop-up. And it will happen whenever. And you have to literally click it to get rid of it, as an, like an annoying pop-up usually are. But it comes up. Or you can set one which comes up as a massive thing on your screen. So whatever you're doing, your screen will just slowly fade out. The statement pops up and then you click for it to disappear. And I think that's beautiful. can be annoying. So if you've got a busy day, don't do too many pop-ups. But it's great to remind yourself of those statements. And I'm signing off for today. So tomorrow we're going to come back with page 56. We're going to start with create new coping strategies and we're going to have a new presenter as well. So I can take a breather. You get to listen how BPD affects somebody else and you get to listen to their life stories. And yeah, I hope you enjoy them as much as I have been chatting to them in the Discord channel. And remember, you can join the Discord channel with us. So the the bio will have all the links that you need. Click in, you can join straight away. There's no access to what has be granted or permissions you know scroll up read about us or our situations and join in and if you want to be a presenter on the podcast let us know in the in the discord chat and we can schedule it through and it'd be great to have you and make you become a part of this experience with us so i will speak to you soon have an amazing week and i will speak to you next time i'm here take care bye bye